learning. Oh, yes. So, uh, so Luke 24, uh, verses 44 to 47. You know, I say the end of Luke, but if you, take the, uh, uh, if you take the idea that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are sort of like uh, two volumes in the same work, it finds itself actually right snap dab in the middle of it, where um, this is the end of the story of the, the, the folks who are on the road to Emmaus, right? And they're walking along, heading from Jerusalem out there, and they, they come alongside this person who they don't recognize and spend the day walking and invite this person to have a meal with them. And it's at the meal where they realize that it is the risen Jesus. And he, he says this, starting in verse 44. And he said, When I was with you before, I told you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Amen. Yeah, that's the word of the Lord this morning. He opened their minds, is what it says. And, and, and I don't think it is much of a stretch to say that this would have been one of those aha moments, one of those, you know, kind of eureka, right? You know, you know the story, right? The, uh, the philosophers in his the Greek philosopher's in his bath, and then he has this moment of enlightenment and just runs out yet screaming, Eureka, I found it, I found it. Um, it's, it's that kind of experience that I think uh, these, uh, these persons uh, having this meal with Jesus experience. Um, and so, as, as we talk today, I, I kind of have like any good preacher, three sort of things I want to focus on. Um, and first, what, what I want to do is talk a little bit just about how we as human beings learn, because I think that's kind of important. If we're talking about learning, we should probably think about thinking about learning. Um, and, then, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about God doing unexpected things, because I... I'm pretty certain the fact that they need Jesus to open their minds to understand the scriptures means that God was doing something that they didn't quite expect. And then I want to sort of uh, close this out with a, with a little thought on what it means to have faith and an opened mind. So learning, right? Um, it's kind of interesting if, if you think about uh, how, how people tend to learn. We, We've got all sorts of different theories and, and whatnot, you know, whether you want to go to, uh, to the behaviorism of, you know, someone like, say, uh, B.F. Skinner, right? This is the stimulus response thing, you know, where he, uh, or Pavlov with the dogs, right? You guys know this, yeah? You know, ring the bell, give the dog a treat, ring the bell, give the dog a treat, and then finally you can ring the bell and the dog starts salivating because it's, you know... The, you know, the, there, there is you know, an idea that, um, that we learn by repeated action, right? That by 
by experiencing something over and over again, um, we, we gain a level of uh, familiarity, a level of um, almost, you know, when, you, when you start talking about habit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are habits? That's something, not, you do something you do over and over again, right? And it tends to be almost to the subconscious level, right? It's something that you've done so frequently that your brain can now offload it from conscious thought and you just do it, right? You know, it's something as normal as... It's a habit for some. Um, We're working on that. Uh, You know, or even the act of... Like, think about it, the act of driving. Like, you remember the first time you drove... And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die or kill someone else. Like, I'm just... And now you, if you're of any kind of age, hopefully not everyone in this room is driving, um, it, becomes, it becomes a habit, something you can do, and you don't think about it. it you just do. Now, some would... Um, take issue with, with the idea that this is, this is purely how people learn, right? You just, you, you present the same thing over and over and over again, and then finally, you know, it sort of sinks in. Because uh, they're like, you know, people are not just uh, st- stimulus responders, right? You know, that you get it, you put an input and you get an output. Um, but that there is a very real sense in which learning is a social process, Right, that um, that that whatever it is that we learn, whatever it is that we do, uh, whoever it is that we are, is conducted inside a social cultural uh, context. Right, we are not just individuals floating out in the ether, as it were. Um, and, and so, by by looking at at learning in this social sense, we realize that. Um, Everything that we know is conditioned by where we are, right? We, we take, let's, let's, uh, let's take some examples. We take, the, uh, we take it as a given here in the United States that we have certain rights, yes. right? Yes. Now, is it, is, it, is it kind of an abstract givenness? No. Because people can live perfectly fine without, say, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, everything, everything, even, the, even what we're doing right here, the fact that I can make a noise with my mouth and you have in your head now ideas and thoughts and can understand this air vibration as meaning happens within a context, right? Um, that that uh, in order for us to learn, I think what we need to, to, to understand is that we are not blank slates. We can never be. And how we learn is, is affected by, by who we are and where we are. And the way that it tends to go is, is we have 
certain sets of beliefs. You know, as you're a little kid, you, you know, you're taught that, you know, the sky is blue. Um, and then, you know, maybe some other things about the world, you know, what it means to be in that family, this, that, or the other, right? And then, but as you grow, you start to learn more and learn more and learn more. And then the more complex your learning becomes, the more you have to run into that uh, dilemma, really, that it is, that what you knew before, while not necessarily wrong, although some things could be, isn't exactly as firm a truth as you thought it was. Because is the sky blue? In a sense, right? It's not wrong that the sky's blue. But is the atmosphere itself blue? No. The atmosphere is blue because of the way that it scatters the light of the sun, right? Sure. It is. (laughs) So, so, so we... Well, the, the way that learning goes, it, 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 it's, this, it's this dialectical process, this sort of spiral, if you will, of you learn something, and then you learn something else, and then you realize that what you just learned affects what you knew before, and then you have to relearn it. And so you have this sort of... Uh, uh, I, I had a professor in seminary who used this uh, phrase. He said, you know, facts up, wise up. No, facts up, fuzz up, right? The more you learn... The more you realize, like, things get fuzzy, you're like, wait a minute. What I thought was sure, what I thought was firm, isn't as solid as it was before. And then there's this wise up where you start to do that integration of the new knowledge into the old. And then you can take a step back and see the picture in a greater view. Yes. Yeah, does that make sense? Does this resonate with your own personal experience? Um, I was reading a, a little bit just on this, and, um, and there, was, there was this really interesting uh, 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 paragraph that, that I ran across that I thought I might read, because it, it sort of gets at this, um, this kind of cycle. Uh, it, it says that the, there, was, there was this gentleman uh, in the early 90s, Jack Maisro, who was working on a theory of transformative learning. And um, in this model of adult learning, people possess scheme, schema, ways of looking at the world that help them to make sense of what they see in the world around them. And usually they work quite well, but if things change, the person may face what Maisro calls a disorienting dilemma. And that's, I, I, I kind of wanted to, to highlight that phrase, this disorienting dilemma. At this point, they are not... uh, At this point, not only are they open to learning, but also they need to learn so that their world makes sense again, Mm -hmm. right? Because really, do we like being in that fuzz? Do we like it when things are shaky, uncertain? No, 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 no. We don't like it. Now, this is necessary for growth. Um. But it is, it, it is not a place we like to stay. Now, Maisro argues that the disorienting dilemma is almost always produced and resolved within a specific social context. Uh, and the examples he gives are deeply concerned with social justice and equity, arising from the differences between the way people think the world should be and the way they realize it is. 
So, for example, an individual might believe that an institution is quote-unquote colorblind until she sees a person of color being discriminated against. At that point, she experiences a dilemma between her beliefs and her perceptions, and the only way to solve such a dilemma is through learning. So, how humans learn is, is in a context. How we learn is in a, a, a place, and it's in a time, and it's in a language, and it's in uh, our persons, right? And these are all things that build uh, plausibility, right? Because, you know, someone could come at you with a, with a, with a bit of information and say, like, uh, trees are blue. And then you'd be like, you know, I don't think so. That sounds, that sounds really strange, right? Trees are blue. One, blue is the most rare, natural uh, occurring uh, color in nature. So there's, there's really low chance of that actually happening. Um, and this, that, or the other. We've been, we've been given these plausibility structures that, that, that allow us to kind of hang our beliefs and understanding on. But... Um, what may happen is that we have to realize that what we know is conditioned and that condition can change. And so to that end, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about God doing unexpected things. Because I think quite often we, we spend a fair amount of time um, in church, talking about sureties, right? Talking about things that we know. Talking about the way that God is, what God does, uh, and who God is. And, and, and what I want us to try and think is, is sort of put ourselves in the shoes of people that experienced God doing things that they didn't think God would do, right? Um, because it happens, and we have, we have record of it in, in the Bible. And I'm, we, could, we could spend multiple sermons talking about it, but kind of the, the two that I just sort of wanted to bring up um, are think about in the book of Acts with Peter, right? Peter in chapter 9, he's been doing his thing. He's kind of the rock star. He's, you know, he's the rock star. <laughs> Uh, um, and, and he's 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 up on he's up on the roof uh, praying. It says in uh, in in chapter nine, and he gets this vision, right? And in the vision, we you know some of us may be familiar. This 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 cloth comes down and displays all these animals, uh, and, and and he hears a voice say, "Eat," right? And now. Uh, if you know anything about uh, Jewish food laws, I'm sure it had lots of shellfish in it. I like to think that the cloth might have been red and white checked and had barbecue coming down out of heaven, because let's just be honest, um, it is ambrosia. Um, but, but the voice says, uh, get up, Peter. Oh, I had forgotten about this part. You see how you sometimes don't read closely. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. These things are alive. Oh, my goodness. 
You want to talk about like learning in a social context. You just, I wasn't paying attention to that part. Good Lord. Um, okay. All right, here we go. So, but the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declares. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice said again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So first off, he didn't get to eat anything, which I think is kind of a bummer. Um, but, but the point is, like, Peter's, he's quote-unquote in the right, right? right? He has properly interpreted the Jewish teachings and traditions and the law. And God says... Nope, not that. This. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and, and that probably didn't go over so well with some people that he was talking to. Because um, I, 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 can, I can probably assure you that when Peter said, listen, I had this vision, and God said pork is good. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get on that. <laughs> and they're like, Mm, uh, we might have to censure you, put you under church discipline, right? We have all sorts of ways of, of um, guarding the boundaries, right? Um, call people heretics. We can kick them out. We can warn people about what they have to teach. But sometimes, sometimes it's, the, it's God who's doing the heretical thing. That sounds a little dangerous to say. Heretical thing. Heresy. Against the teaching. Yeah. Because Peter was in the right according to the law, but God said no. And it even went so far, I mean, it not only was, uh, was a vision, but it was also a metaphor because later then uh, Cornelius, who is, a, who is a Roman, calls Peter to his house and Peter sees that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on not only Jews but also Gentiles. And Peter says, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Right, Peter learned the lesson that God can do unexpected things. God can do, honestly, things that God said don't do before. Like, let's, just, let's just be real, right? Because the law came from God. Now God said, nope, we're good with that. Let's take another one, circumcision and faith, right? So according to the Jewish law, circumcision was a requirement for the community of faith. But then you got all these Gentiles, right, coming to faith, and I'm sure they were like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. That, that, that feels like a bridge too far. And what, is, what does the church council do in Acts 15? The church decides that this prime part, prime part of the Jewish faith is no longer necessary. They're like, yep, no, we're good. Don't need to worry about that. On a side note, uh, there was uh, in, in chapter 15, the letter that they send around to the churches makes, uh, makes 
it also say that you, you shouldn't eat food sacrificed to idols. Um, and I just think it's really funny because Paul in, in the first letter to the Corinthians is kind of like, yeah, don't worry about that. No, <laughs> oh, he really does. He says, he says, you know, am I saying like, you know, should you do I'm like, yeah, if somebody gives it to you, whatever. His, his whole, his whole uh, thing about the food was um, if, it, if it causes someone else to stumble, right? And he's like, there, you know, there's, there's nothing here or there about it, but be aware of your community, right? That, that, was, that was the thing there. But it's an, un, it's an unexpected thing. And, I, and so um, I think there's a tendency that we have uh, to think that God stopped doing unexpected things back then, mm-hmm. right? And quite, quite honestly, I'm sure, uh, you know, the folks in the book of Acts thought God stopped doing unexpected things back when the law was given, right? Or back when, uh, you know, the people returned from exile, the, the, the second temple was, you know, like, we have it in our mind that... This is who God is. How, how we understand God is, is, is how God is. And, and, and then God goes and does whatever they want. He wants. <laughs> right? And, and so as, as, as we come to the scriptures and as, as we come to community uh, gathering together and... and, and <coughs> And really wanting to learn and to grow and to, and, and, and to as, as Paul says, you know, being you know, transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Being formed in the image of Jesus. What I think we need to be at least aware of is, is that... We may not actually know what we think we know, mm-hmm. and that God is free to do what God wants. Amen. And God did not stop doing whatever God wants back during the times that the scriptures were written, but God continues to do what God wants. Amen. Right? And so. If we can, if we can, can bring ourselves to the the understanding that that God is, and that what we know about God is not the totality of God, right? Then, then this idea of an open mind is very much in line with what it means to have faith. Amen. Right? That the one who has the closed mind, the one who believes that their theological system is complete or perfect, mm-hmm. is the one who is quite possibly the farthest from who God really is. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and that's not to say that traditions and theological understandings and beliefs uh, 
are all wrong. But it is to say that the moment we deify our beliefs, as it were, is the moment we lose the actual deity. That, that the process of coming to the infinite God with our finite minds is by its very nature an act of humility, right? And an act of faith and an act of trust, right? Trust that, that this God actually cares, actually loves, actually wants to open our minds, Amen. actually wants us to grow. So there is that very real and very, re, uh, and very human reticence to evolve our belief systems because they make sense of the world as it is. And the last thing we want is to disrupt that sense of understanding and peace. But my question is, what do we love more? Do we love God as God is, or do we love our current understanding of God? Let that sit for a second. Do we love God as God is, or do we love our current understanding of God? Read our, our beliefs about God, our, our conceptions of who God is, what God does, what, what they are about. And if we, can, if we can say what I really do want to love more is God as God is, then we are going to have that openness that is required for learning and for growth. And we're going to step into those disorienting dilemmas, right? right. The, the more we open we are, the more possibility we have to learn, and the more we learn, the more dilemma we face, and the more dilemma we face, the more we have to synthesize that. It's, um, I've, I've said it before, uh, but it's this, if you want to take another um, kind of metaphor, it's the cycle of order and disorder and reorder, right? Um, and here I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, order, it's at this stage if we're granted it, and not all are, we feel innocent and safe. Everything is basically good. It all means something, and we feel a part of what looks normal and deserved. It's our first naivete, if you will. It explains everything, and thus it feels like it is straight from God, solid and forever. And those who try to stay in this first satisfying explanation of how things are and should be will tend to refuse and avoid any confusion, conflict, inconsistency, suffering, or darkness. They do not like disorder in any form. Even many Christians do not like anything that looks like carrying the cross. This is a huge price we have paid for just thanking Jesus for what he did on the cross instead of actually imitating him. Disorder or change is always to be avoided. The ego believes 
So let's hunker down and pretend that my status quo is an entirely good thing. Should be good for everyone and is always true and even the only truth. But permanent residence at this stage tends to create either willing, naive people or control freaks. And very often a combination of both. And then disorder. Eventually, your ideally ordered universe, your private salvation project, as Thomas Merton called it, must and will disappoint you if you are honest. As Leonard Cohen puts it, there's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. Your wife dies. Your father loses his job. You were rejected on the playground as a child. You find out you're needy and sexual. You find an exam for a coveted, you fail an exam for a coveted certification. Or you finally realize that many people are excluded from your own well-deserved life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the disorder stage, or what we call from the Adam and Eve story, the fall. It is necessary in some form if any real growth is to occur, but some of us find this stage so uncomfortable we flee back to our first created order, even if it is killing us. Others today seem to have given up and decided that there is, quote, no universal order, or at least no order we will submit to. That's the postmodern stance, which distrusts all grand narratives, ideologies, and globalism, including often any notions of reason, a common human nature, social progress, universal human norms, absolute truth, and objective reality. Permanent residence at this stage tends to make people rather negative and cynical, usually angry, and quite opinionated and dogmatic about one form of correctness or another. Some accuse people, uh, uh, religious people of being overly dogmatic, yet this stymied position worships disorder itself as though it were the dogma. Reorder. Every religion in its own way is talking about getting you to this reorder stage. Various systems would call it enlightenment, exodus, nirvana, heaven, salvation, springtime, or even resurrection. It is the life on the other side of death, the victory on the other side of failure, the joy on the other side of the pains of childbirth. It is an insistence on going through, not under, over, or even around. There is no nonstop flight to disorder. To arrive there, we must endure, learn from, and include the disorder stage, transcending the first naive order, but still including it. It amounts to the best of all positions. It holds to what was good about the first order, but also offer it very needed correctives. People who have reached this stage, like the Jewish prophets, might be called radical traditionalists, Amen. loving their truth, their group enough to critique it, critiquing it enough to maintain their own integrity and intelligence. These wise ones have stopped overreacting, but also overdefending. They are usually a minority of humans. Amen. I read that in long form because I think it, it, it does say much about what it feels like to learn. And especially as, as when, we're, when we're talking about things as deeply meaningful as God and faith 
and humanity and who we are and who we will be. That it, it's like this. I had, a, I had a really wise friend say to me as we were kind of, I was chatting about the sermon with them. They said, we have to, we have this idea. It, it's, it's not only of learning, but unattaching ourselves to learning is a way of knowing. And, and what I think they were getting at was, was the idea that, as, as I saw Wendy over here kind of talk about, we see one small little part of who God is, Right? And our situatedness affects what part of God we see. And so having open eyes and open hearts and open minds allows us the freedom to really rest in God himself. There was a... Uh, a Christian musician many years ago. Some of you may be familiar, Rich Mullins. He had a, he had a song um, called Hard to Get. And, and part of this, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lovely and destructive song um, if you listen to it. But it, but it ends with... Um, The, the, the whole song, he's just been saying, you know, you're up there. Do you even remember us? Do you hear us? Do you, you know, do you know loneliness and need? Um, and he comes to the, to the place where he says, look, I know I'm only lashing out at the one who loves me most. And after I figured this, somehow all I really need to know is if you who live in eternity hear the prayers of, thus, of those of us who live in time. We can't see what ahead, and we cannot get free from what we've left behind. I'm reeling from these voices that keep screaming in my ears, all the words of shame and doubt, blame and regret. I can't see how you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. And so you've been here all along, I guess. It's just your ways, and you're just plain hard to get. And it was funny, because the, that, the, that last line about you're leading, uh, you're leading and how I'm lost enough, it came into my head as I was thinking about this. And, and I'll be honest, again, you want to talk about like learning in the moment. I mean, the, the song's 20-something years old, and I've known it since it came out, and I always thought like hard to get was like I couldn't reach you but I think he's just I think he's really saying I don't understand you you're hard to get like and that that he, he finds himself at the very end saying it's just who you are and that's okay and I don't I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Right? But as we close, I think that really is, as we think about what it means 
to learn, what it means to have open minds, what it means to have our minds actually opened by God. It means being aware enough to know that we don't know what we don't know. It means being honest enough to say that we cannot fully understand. Remember, Paul says it's, we see is through a mirror dimly, right? And it means being open enough to trust a God who has shown in so many different ways and in so many different times that they are love itself and that their desire is to wrap us up in that love and transform us by that love that we may be, as Jesus said to his disciples, one as he and the Father are one. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you... We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you desire for us to know you and to experience your love. We thank you that you do things that we don't understand. Um, And I think it's hard sometimes to actually say that because we want to put you in a box. We want to say this is what God is and this is what God does and in such a way to control you. But God, we admit quite in a silly way that that's, we can't control you. You will do what you want. And so I pray that you would allow us the faith to trust you, that you would allow us and give us the open minds to see you at work wherever it is you are, whatever it is you are doing, with whomever it is you are doing it. And in so doing, I pray that we would be transformed from one glory to another, as it says. With you. Amen.